two of what we began last week of the seven qualities of a mature Christian. The seven qualities of a mature Christian. Now last week we only got through three of them, so I'm hoping to finish up the last four, but it's okay. We've got next week too, so if we only get through a couple, I'm all right with that. But I want you to turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's read again verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. Let me just back up a second. Because when we study the word, remember, I've been teaching and teaching and teaching. Slow down and grab the words. Slow down, grab the words. So verse 4 said, through these, what were these? He talked about his glory and goodness. Through these, through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that, it means that he did this for a reason, here's the reason, so that, through them, what was them? The precious promises. So it said, through, if I read verse 4 again, through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through his promises you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, here's another why, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if, again, we've been studying and we know wherever God's promises are, there's conditions, which means God will do this if you do this. So here's the ifs. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will, that's God's promise, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if, there's a condition again, anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore... Whenever you see the word therefore, it means he just laid out everything. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if, there's a condition again, if you do these things, you will, God's promise will, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit that's our teacher, our guide. And he was the one that breathed in these prophets and in these men. And Lord, it's your word that we're searching right now and we're studying. So God, we ask that you would take your word and, and ingest it within us, God. That we can take every nugget of truth and apply it to our life for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The whole foundation of these promises and these qualities that we need to add to our life in increasing measure comes through our knowledge of Jesus. You notice it said that like two, three times. Through our knowledge. These come through our knowledge. Remember we studied that it's the, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is studying facts, truths. It's like if I laid out a, a study on guns. And I tore apart all the guns. And you were the classroom. And I showed you all the different parts. And the firing pin. And the, you know, all the, you know, the sight. And all these things. And laid it out. And you studied, 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 studied. You still need the wisdom to know how to apply. When to use that gun. And when not to use that gun. So you could have the knowledge of the gun. How the gun operates and everything. But you also need the wisdom on when and how to use the gun. Same thing with the word of God. He says, study to show yourselves approved. That's studying. That's gathering the facts. That's knowing his nature. That's learning about him. But then you also need to walk in the wisdom of God. Hey, hello. He grabbed a hold of me. Walk in the wisdom of God, which means applying the truth that you learned. But it's through our knowledge, through our knowledge. So again, he didn't directly say, if you study the word. But it's through our knowledge which puts back on us the responsibility to do the studying. He's not going to sit there and just shove the meat down into your mouth. He's a good father and he says, you know, it's right here. I got thinking about that when I was praying over the uh, message earlier. Through our knowledge is like, it's like a, a rich relative from far away. Passes away, leaves you an estate, mansion, and all the resources to fund that mansion and to fund the rest of your life in comfort. And in that will, he gives you all this stuff. So in his passing, his lawyer then opens the will and says, oh, hey, this belongs to... Wayne Taylor. So, let's let Wayne Taylor know. Writes it all out, puts it in an envelope, and mails it off to Wayne Taylor. Wayne Taylor goes to his mailbox, opens up his mailbox, gets a big envelope out that says, from the law offices of, and throws it on his counter and says, I'm not touching that. That's probably bad news. As a matter of fact, it's probably junk. It's just junk mail. I'm throwing it away. Does that negate the fact that he still owns an estate and all the... Re no, he still owns it. But it's through his knowledge until he opens that up, reads it, 
puts it in his suitcase, packs up his car, and goes. He's not receiving that. It's through that knowledge that we can blah, 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 blah. All these things are added to us and can be added to us and can keep us from this and will do this. It's through that knowledge. But most of the time we pick it up and say, isn't that nice? And we set it back down again. So it's a continual, it's an act on our part to a continually be studying and understanding. So slow down. I mean, I say that all the time. Slow down in your reading. Don't just try to gobble up. It's kind of like being a glutton of God's word and it's not really getting to you like it's supposed to. It, it's slowing down and really studying it. And I always, I always, when I read, I always say, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to show me in this? I might stop after half a verse. What are you showing me in this? Because I want to suck every nutrient out of every word like a choice morsel. And then chew on it some more. And God, just tell me, what are you trying to say to me today? That's called the living word. That's what it's for. But it's on our part. It's through our knowledge. And there's, I mean, look at all these promises. Three, six promises. It's through our knowledge of God that we will have grace and peace and abundance. Divine power and everything we need to live a godly life. To participate in the divine nature. To escape the corruption in the world. We will never fall. And we will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. That's just through our knowledge. By studying. By learning. So last week we covered the first three qualities. We talked about goodness, knowledge, and self-control. So just let me really quick recap. And I'm trying to look at that. Okay, yep. All right, we're doing good. Allow me to recap. Goodness. And Pastor Neil shared this uh, Wednesday night at the prayer meeting that in the King James Version or the New King James Version, the word goodness is virtue. And in the Greek definition of the word virtue, goodness, it was commonly used to refer to the manifestations of God's miracle power. God's miracle power. When we were talking about goodness last week, we were talking about it's not just a goodness as far as poof, I'm good. But it's in a being and a doing. It's not just being good, it's in a doing good. And when he defined that, when he read out of his Bible in that Greek you know, that virtue, it really is. I mean, everything that we said last week, listen to the tape, listen to the podcast. Um, I'm not going to go into all the detail that we covered, but it is. there's so much in that, that it really is God's miracle power coming into us and then going out of us. That's what virtue and goodness is. Because can you or I be good in ourselves? No. Can we do good on our own? No. I mean, we really try sometimes, don't we? I mean, ladies, the, the ladies that are doing this weight loss challenge with me, I was good yesterday. I promise I was good. My mama knows I wanted to eat that wedding cake at my cousin's wedding yesterday, but I just, little finger, and I licked that little frosting and little frosting, and I licked, and that's all I did. I was so good, and then I got on the scales this morning, and I gained a pound. I almost threw that scale out the window, and I came downstairs. 
back at night was a stupid apple. You know, I was saying, can I just pretend it's cake? But it wasn't cake. It was an apple. And I gained a pound. You gained three? Oh, it's good to confess your sins one to another, lady. That's right. What? I was so upset. I'm like, there is no, God, there is no good in me. So I came here and I ate a donut. Hey! I'm praying that God's miracle power will be manifested through me to be good and do good. But no, okay. Yeah, I know, I know. But this, in fact, is God wanting. Goodness means, that virtue means God wanting to shine in you and through you to be good and to do good. We talked about knowledge, which I talked a lot about already, so I'm not going to get into too much of that. But in 1 Peter 1.13, it talks about preparing your mind. Sorry, I just jumped ahead. 2 Timothy 2.15, it talks about, like I said, studying to show yourself approved. Study to show yourself approved. One who correctly handles, correctly handles, there's that wisdom, the word, the truth. So it's study to get it in, but also be careful that you're applying it correctly, which is what we need to ask the Holy Spirit for his wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Man, Proverbs is filled, filled. I love Proverbs. As a matter of fact, I am diligently read a proverb of the day. You notice that there's 31 Proverbs, not 66, right? 30, 31 Proverbs. So you can read a proverb every day, and there's so much in there. Wisdom, it says, wisdom cries aloud. If you would just seek me with all your heart. He talks about wealth and prosperity, health and goodness are with me. See, we really need to seek, instead of seeking the things, seek the wisdom. And the wisdom, with wisdom, comes everything you need. Anyway, knowledge. Uh, oh, the Full Life Study Bible says, Note that true biblical training emphasizes that true righteousness is a knowing, a being, and a doing. Biblical training emphasizes true righteousness as knowing, being, and doing rather than merely acquiring facts. I mean, I've went to college. I know, I'm a college graduate. Anyway, I went to college, and I have been around some very, even in Bible training and stuff, some very, very smart people. But their common sense proves stupidity. And you wonder, how could that be? That they can have so many head facts, so much knowledge, yet possess no common sense. And it's that wisdom, that applying it. But anyway, it emphasizes knowing, being, and doing as true righteousness. Bible training emphasizes true righteousness rather than merely acquiring the biblical facts. The great doctrines revealed in Scripture are redemptive in truth, not academic ones. So as issues involving life, death, and eternity, they demand a personal response and decision on our part. You can't just put the knowledge in you 
and think that that's all you need. It's got to come into you and out of you. It's knowing, being, and doing where true righteousness lies. The third one is self-control. Again, 1 Peter 1, 13 says, Prepare your minds. Prepare your minds for action to be self-controlled. Before we started that diet, I mean, Betty even shared that she cleaned her house and went grocery shopping before she even did the weigh-in because she was preparing her house, preparing her mind. You can't haphazardly fall into self-control. It is a decisive action, a way of thinking that you've got to dial in. You've got to retrain. When men go through military training, they, number one, focus on thoughts. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to act. This is how you need to think. Think, think. They train them here so that they mentally can respond then correctly. And that's where we need to, everything starts up here. I love that. I mean, I mentioned it even last week. I love Bill Johnson does a supernatural transformed, the supernatural power of a transformed mind. Man, he's got to shorten that title. But anyway, in that curriculum, it really does. I mean, eye-opening, I love it. There's a book. I even got it on Audible and listened to it over and over again because it all starts and ends here. You stop it all. You know, you you can make yourself believe anything. You can talk yourself out of almost anything. But also you can talk yourself into almost anything. Because it's here. I, when I was growing up, I think I broke every bone in my body. Because I loved just... Anyway, I was a free-range child, right, Mom? Anyway. But I remember one time in particular we lived in Olivet. And I had a very colorful imagination. I mean, I still do. But I remember being on, I think it was a red couch at that time. Maybe it was an orange couch. I don't remember. But I was on the couch, standing on the couch, got on the edge of the couch, not on even the top part. It was just on the cushion part. And I was being a tightrope walker. Ah. And I was performing all these crazy stunts. I think I was in fourth grade. Anyway, and I was loving it, and I, my eyes were wide open, and I was standing sideways, and I was looking at the carpet, and it was like it was all the little bitty heads of the people watching me. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm doing this and doing that. And all of a sudden, I lost my balance, and I fell off the couch that's only this far off the floor. Guess what I did? I broke something. I don't even remember what it was at that time. I've broken everything. And mom's like, how did you break? And I remember sitting in the hospital and the doctor saying, how did you break? I like fell this far. But see, my imagination was I was way up in the air. So when I fell, I'm like, yeah, you know. But I could talk myself into just about believing anything. So when you think, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that, you're choosing to think that way. That scripture is telling you to prepare your mind for action to be self-controlled. Start thinking, I am a self-controlled person. I can do that. I can do this. It, God has given me everything I need. I am a child of God. You know, why is it so easy for us as people to go straight to the negative? 
to see the cloud instead of seeing the horizon where the sun's starting to peek through. Set your mind for action. Start thinking positive. Start pushing back the negative because it's there where the gate to the kingdom of heaven comes in. You're either controlled by the natural man or controlled by the spirit, but you choose who controls you. I think I even put this on Facebook this morning. You can't expect the blessing of God's kingdom in your life without allowing God to rule as king in your life. See, we all want the blessing, but we want to do things our own way. As a parent, what do you tell your children? You do it my way and life will be good. Right? That's the, actually, that's the first promise, right? In the Bible. You honor your father and mother and it will be well with you. Long days. Plentiful days. But if you don't, your days are going to be miserable and short. I like that. Kids are in here. Listen, kids. At the end of the message last week, I asked everyone to read a scripture as their homework. Do you remember what it was? How many read Galatians 5, 16 through 25? Stand up. Stand up. How many read it? How many read it? How many read it? I know you're all going, oh, oh. How many read it? How many was in the pre-service prayer? And Pastor Neil, I thought he even read my notes because he's like warning you, hurry up. You know you need to read Galatians chapter 5. Get out there and read it before... How many in pre-service prayer went out and did that? No, okay. Stand up. Denny, you were standing up. You better stay stay standing up. Stay standing up. Jacob, I've got a reward for those who did what they were supposed to do. Because, you know, the parable did reward those who were the good and faithful servants. Go ahead. Hand those out to the ones that did what they were supposed to do. Actually, give the ladies two. Give the ladies two. Give her two candy bars. Her two candy bars. Oh, yeah. Oh, Shannon, two candy bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. I'm sorry. It's a. am sorry, but it's a prompt. You do what you're supposed to do, and you will be rewarded. I, that's just biblical. I'm sorry. That's biblical. Make sure... Jacob, really, give give Missy two, give Shannon two, and Deborah two. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, since there was only a handful that read it. Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Yep, now we need to read it together. There's plenty of us for later, right? If I'm going to gain a pound, I might as well gain two, right? In Galatians chapter 5, this is important, and that's why I I didn't want to brush over it fast last week, because this is so important. We're talking about being self-controlled. You need to know that you are, listen, there is no neutral in this life. You are either being controlled by the flesh, or you're being controlled by the Spirit. It's either one or the other, and he talks here. He says, so I say in verse 16 of Galatians 5, 
So I say, live by the Spirit. What is that? That's a choice. You choose. Set your mind. What do you want to be controlled by? You will not gratify the desires of the sinful, sinful nature. Listen, if you do this, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You won't be a victim in which victim mentality in the sinful life. That's just, that's a cop out. Let's just be truthful. I mean, I could have been winding up here. I'm a victim. I, well, I did, didn't I? I did everything right yesterday and I still gained a pound. <gasps> well, somewhere I must have did something wrong. I think it's in my, I think it's in muscle. I think I gained muscle yesterday because I worked hard. And you know, muscle does way more than fat. Yeah. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. We're going to go back to that. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. Which, uh, by the way, debauchery is just... Uh, unhinderedness. Debauchery is a, a drunkenness without hindrance. Debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, or the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, which I always do love God's buts, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Are those things sounding familiar? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There it is again. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Can a dead man live? Okay, if I say that, don't get too spiritual on me. If you killed him, he's dead. Okay? You crucified him. He don't get to overtake you any longer, but you have to crucify him. Crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited then and walk around, Oh, I'm so good, I'm so good, look at you. I'm so good. I'm so let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So we had to throw that in there too. I like that. Because what happens, some of us end up going too far. And then all of a sudden we look like those Pharisees whitewashed tombs where it's really death inside. Remember, we talked about these seven qualities. This all has to do with starting inside us and it comes out of us. We don't have to work so much on doing outside. If we get it inside, it naturally comes out. That's the qualities we're talking about. But here it's stated twice, there is no law. There is no law. Law tells us what we can't do, but love tells us what we can do. See, if we focus on love, if we focus on what we need to do, if we focus on the positive, all those you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that, don't mean anything to us. Because I'm not even looking at that anymore because I'm focusing on this. 
But see, if we're so worried about what we look like on the outside, again, the Pharisees and all trying to look like we're righteous, we nitpick at those little, I can't do this, I can't, well, I can, I can do a little bit of this, I can do a little bit of this, I can do a little bit of this, come church on Sunday, and I'm okay. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. You're full of death inside. You pretend like you're all put together. But see, the qualities get in us and come out of us. Come in us and go out of us. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I like that. I like that. Don't worry about what you can't do. No law. No law. Worry about what you're supposed to do. Right there. Live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. So that was all just a recap. <sighs> Number four, perseverance. Webster's defines perseverance as a steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Perseverance is not a haphazard, uh, what are you doing today? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. What's going on in your life? I don't know. Perseverance is a, a tenacious passion within you that just keeps you going. But more than that, because let's listen. Let's really listen to the heart of the word perseverance here in these qualities. If you turn over to James chapter 1, which if you're still in James 2, James chapter 1. Verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that, there's why, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Isn't that what we want? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. So how do we get it? Oh, brother. Perseverance. Going through trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. So that, but it must, it must finish its work. And I think that's where we stumble. Too many Christians today have just as many problems as the world. And the world's looking at you like, what do you got that I, you know, want? You know, tell me. You're having just as many trials and troubles as I am. What? It's because we don't let perseverance finish its work in us so that we're complete and mature and not lacking anything. It must finish its work so that you may be. So that you may. Again, that's back on us. You allow it to finish its work in you. Considering it pure joy when you're going through all these trials, then if you let it finish its work, you'll be mature, complete, not lacking anything. So have you ever felt like you're running up against the same problem over and over again? Lord, I think I just dealt with this last week. Now I'm going through this again. You ever feel like sometimes it's the same problem just with a different t-shirt on, you know? The same problem. Same problem. 
Well, let me just throw this out. Maybe God sees something in you that he's still trying to work out and it only comes to the surface when you're faced with this one trial. All right, let me put a different t-shirt on this problem. This one person. Only when this one person comes around me does blah, blah, blah happen. I only react that way when so-and-so says, God's trying to work something out. He sees it and it only comes to the surface when you're facing this trial. So until you let that, by perseverance, finish its work in you, you're going to keep coming up against that same problem. And you're like, it's their problem. It's their fault. No. Consider it pure joy. When, if that is you and you see so-and-so and you know that so-and-so always brings that one thing up to the surface in you, consider it pure joy. God, I've got this one today. Set your mind in action. Self-controlled. I can. Here they come. I can do this. Yeah, how was your day? Wonderful. How's your day? Oh, but I heard so-and-so. You know what? God's in control. Isn't it a beautiful day? Hey, you want to go grab some coffee? Consider it pure joy. It's not getting me. It's not getting me. I know the devil's scheme, and he's not getting me any longer. There's a story I came across called The Blacksmith. You perhaps recall the story of the blacksmith who gave his heart to God. Though dedicated in his living, still he was not prospering materially. In fact, it seems that from the time of his conversion, more trouble, affliction, and loss were sustained than ever before. Everything seemed to be going wrong for him. One day, a friend, who was not a Christian, stopped by the blacksmith's shop to talk to him. Sympathizing with him in some of his trials, the friend said, You know, it seems strange to me that so much affliction should pass over you just at the time when you become an earnest Christian. Sounds like Job's friends, huh? Of course, I don't want to weaken your faith in God or anything like that, but here you are, God's help and guidance now in your life, and yet things seem to be getting steadily worse. I can't help wondering why that is. The blacksmith did not answer immediately, and it was evident that even he had had the same question before. But finally he said, You see here in the raw iron which I have to make into this horse's shoe, you know what I have to do with it? I take a piece and heat it in the fire until it is red, almost white with the heat. Then I hammer it unmercifully to shape it as I know it should be shaped. Then I plunge it into a pail of cold water to temper it. Then I heat it again and I hammer it some more. And this I do until the work is finished. But sometimes I find a piece of iron that for whatever reason it just will not stand up under this treatment. The heat, the hammering, the cold, whatever it is, seems to be too much for it. I don't know why it fails in the process, but I know it will never make a good horse's shoe. Then he pointed to a heap 
of scrap iron that was near the door of his shop. And he said, when I get a piece that cannot take the shape, the temper, the heat, or the water, and especially not my... I throw it out on the scrap heap. It will never be good for anything. He went on, replied to his friend, I know that God has been holding me under the fires of affliction, and I have felt his hammer upon me. But I don't mind if only he can bring me to what I should be. And so in all these hard things, my prayer is simply this. Try me in any way you wish, Lord, under fire or under hammer. Just shape me and mold me into something useful for you. Keep me strong and yielding to you during this time so I don't end up on the scrap pile. Perseverance must finish its work in you so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It must. It must work itself out. Rejoice. Consider it pure joy. I put it this way. It's not a happiness that's based on your circumstances. Remember the definition of perseverance means despite the difficulty despite the delay. So it doesn't matter about your circumstances. It's a holy contentment that knows that God is bigger than the trial. And he is able to put you through, take you through, carry you through, lead you through. Remember he said, I walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say I pluck you out of it. He said, I'll walk through it with you. Consider it pure joy. Number five, godliness. And I think we're going to stop at five. So we'll pick up part three next week. But godliness, okay? Again, 1 Peter 1.3 said his divine power has given. Past tense, already done. Has given. The distant... Rich relative is already dead. He's already wrote his will. You're already named in it. The lawyer has already opened it. He wrote it out for you and he mailed it to you. It's already here. Everything you need. He has already given you everything you need for life and godliness. Through what? Our knowledge of him. Again, you don't know what you don't read. You don't know what you don't know. I think my dad used to say that all the time. You don't know what you don't know. Remember, there's nothing God will ask you to do that he hasn't already equipped you to do. Nothing. He has already given you everything you need. So when he says, be holy for I am holy, it's not because he's saying, go ahead, try to be as good as me. I've given you everything. The mansion's yours. All the resources are yours to, to live out that mansion, to bring his kingdomship here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, he's given you everything you need. Now, walk it out. Godliness. Godliness. 
In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It. It teaches us. What's it? It teaches us. The grace of God. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I like that he had to put that there because how would we like to interpret that? Oh yes, when we get to heaven, we'll be holy. I love it that people say, yeah, I know, he wants us all to be healed in heaven. Yeah. What? If that was the case, why did Jesus have to die? Why does he say, walk, my kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Otherwise, he would have just said, you can have everything when you get to heaven. End of story. Right? This is all for us to be able to walk it out here. Now. Really, come on, think that one through. That's simple. That's simple. In this present age, he's given us everything. teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and live self-controlled, upright, and godly life. In this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? For us to go home. Hallelujah. For our toil and our labor to be over. For the party to begin. The banquet to start. To eat for seven years straight without stop and not gain one pound. Amen. That's my blessed hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh. I like that it says that it teaches us to say, the grace of God teaches us to say, no. No. You won't, again, haphazardly be able to live a self-controlled life. You won't just by accident fall into a righteous life. You will have to say no to some things. No to the cupcake. No to the candy bar. What you say, Deborah? You'll put it in the freezer and save it for later? Amen. Good girl. <laughs> Eat it, eat it. No, okay. It, it's trying to show you that there should be a line in the sand between your life before Christ and your life after Christ. Otherwise, what are you saying no to? If you can just, if because people throw out the grace of God just says you can do whatever you want to do because grace, 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 grace. What? It says right there, the grace of God teaches us to say no, no to ungodliness. 
I had the privilege, today we're going to see water baptisms. I think we have five lined up. We got Charlene Lee, Jason Lopez, Pearl Evans, Melissa Crater, Gideon Crater, my cousins that are up here are getting baptized today. I've had the privilege of hearing their testimonies. And I've got to hear or read their, their life before Christ and how it's changed them now after Christ. But if in reading or hearing their testimonies, they, they simply stated, you know what, there's not really a change. Well, I go to church now on Sunday. That's the change? That's what Jesus had to die for? Your life before Christ and your life after Christ is exactly the same. Well, moderation. There would be a problem, wouldn't there? You gotta, there's gotta be a, a bloodline. There's gotta be a point in your life where the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross laid out a bloodline in your life and said, all from this side over is forgotten and forgiven. And he's cleaned you up, and I don't wanna jump ahead in my message here, and walked you across, cleaned you off, and set you right, and said, now there's life, life to the abundance. And here, by the way, here's the grace of God upon you because it's going to teach you that if something tries to get upon you or drag you back to, it's going to teach you to say, No! That's not me any longer. That person's dead. This is what I do. And focus on this, adding these things in your life in increasing measure. I mentioned at the close of second service last week that in our lives, in our lives, are we living? I mean, here's just a checkup. Are you living your life in such a way that it's a memorial to the sacrificial death of Christ? I mean, don't we do that on Memorial Day? Aren't we supposed to pause and consider our freedoms that we're living today in America at the cost of some of the soldiers? That's what it's for, Memorial Day, a time of remembering the cost for our freedom. Same thing. Is what you're living for today worth what Christ died for you? Verse 14, he goes on to say, The glorious hope, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. I always circle the word all all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now listen, there it goes on to again, to lay out that there has got to be a difference from your past life to your Christ life. From your Christ not involved life to now Christ is involved life. Jesus was not my Lord and Savior, now he is. Because he said he redeemed us and purified us. From what then? Because if the grace of God can just allow you to do whatever you want to do, all you have to do is just acknowledge God as your Lord and Savior. That Again, that statement is not even true. As it comes out of your lips, you should hear. If he's your Lord. Same thing as saying he's my king, which in a kingship means he's the one in control. You are servant of the king. 
If he's your Lord, you bow to his command. You obey his command. So to do your own thing and yet say Jesus is my Lord and Savior is a lie. Anyway, getting back to verse 14. To redeem us and purify means that there's something that he picked us up out of. Redeemed us and purified us from. Took us across that bloodline. And cleaned us up. So, to say that... I want to be careful. I, I don't want to get on my soapbox. Um, I, have a, I do have a definite problem with people who constantly want to go back to that bloodline and pick up something from their life that they were redeemed from or purified from and say, well, I can now participate in this just in moderation. As long as I don't do this, go this far or go that far, it's okay. Because, you know, we, we are free. We can do whatever we want to do. If you had to cross over that pass that you were purified from and redeemed from, there's something wrong. And Hebrews even says you trample the blood of Jesus underfoot when you do that. There's a heavy warning there, which is a whole other message in itself that you need to read. I put down an example here, and, and I, then I won't elaborate anymore, but it's like a... It's like a drinker, I won't call him an alcoholic, but a drinker who's told by his doctor now your liver has had too much. It's all done. You're dying. You're going to need a liver transplant. And then graciously receives by miracle a liver. Gets the transplant done. Gets out of the hospital and immediately goes back to drinking. But just in moderation. See, I can just drink, I just drink a little bit. Is that okay? No, what, what about the family of the one who sacrificed and gave that organ up for that person? And then this is how you're going to treat that sacrifice? I'm letting go of it right there. So next week we're going to focus on the last two, which is brotherly kindness and love. And let me, I mean, challenge you like I did last week. Start walking these. I mean, in increasing measure is what it's asking us to do. Add these qualities to our life to become mature Christians. Complete, not lacking anything. Has he given you everything you need to be able to do this? Y'all sleepy? You're smelling the hot dogs? Is that what's going on? We're, we're wrapping up now, okay? So go ahead. Elbow your neighbor. We're wrapping up now. Has God given you everything you need to live out these seven qualities? Yes. Is this something that you're trying to paint on the outside of you to look good? No. Is this something that you need to ingest in you? Get in you. Study. Show yourself approved through your knowledge of him. And then through his wisdom, he'll help you walk it out. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, and godliness. And then next week we'll talk about brotherly kindness and love. So in closing, would you just please rise and let's, let's just ponder what we've heard so far. Crystal, if you would come back for me. I want to I talk to... 
I want to talk to the Christian that's been however long saved for, you know, however long. But you really believe in the depths of your soul you are a Christian. But through even these these first two parts of this message, just starting to get into the five qualities, you realize that um, you've been lacking. Let's just say it that way. You've been lacking in walking out these qualities in your life. And through this message, even like I said, just these first five points, that you realize uh, something's got to change. Let me just say, today is your day. Today is your day. This is not about uh, being uh, turned inwardly on yourself and, oh, I'm a worm, I'm horrible, look it, I haven't done anything right. No, 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 no. No. You can do nothing apart from God. Nothing good apart from God. All right? So I'm not saying, look at how awful you've been. No. And if that's Satan whispering in your ear, tell him to shut up. But you'll hear God. He'll be wooing you. He'll be whispering in your ear. He's that gentle voice that says, see, I've given you everything you need to do this. Been written, it's already in your bank account. I will teach you how to access the resources. Keep in step with me, live by the Spirit. Keep in step with me. And to those of you who are not yet Christians, let me just say, God went to a, a great deal of trouble to arrange for you to be here today and to listen to this message. Don't waste this opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so that you can begin walking out the plans that God prepared for your life even before you were born, the Word says. He wrote every day of your life. He has a great plan for your life. So if either one of those are you, if, if you're, you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, rededicate your, your life today, or if you're a longtime Christian or a Christian of any amount of time and you say, this is it, Pastor Brenda, I, I need help. I, I want to start walking out these qualities. Even just these first five I've noticed are, are lacking in my life. I want you to come up front right now. We want to pray that you're increasingly filled filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I already received the Holy Spirit. No, it says to ever be being filled. Ever be being filled in the Holy Spirit because it's Him that will walk out, that will walk out, that will work out, that will work out these things in your life. So come on up front right now. We were not going to close until after the altar call, so don't let anybody leave. Go ahead and lock the back doors if you have to. We're going to pray. We need to. This is what we were just talking about. That knowledge is not facts that you're trying to get up in your mind. But they demand because they're spiritual truths. They demand a decision on your part. 
They demand a decision on your part. So if that's you, come on up front. Come on up front. I need help. I'm lacking. I want to be prayed for. Holy Spirit, be being filled in me. Altar team, come on up. Start praying with people. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Seriously, hold on. Don't leave. Give us a couple minutes. But don't leave until you get some time with God. Fill me, God. Fill me, God. Fill me, God. And then you can't have food until I close in prayer and pray for the food anyway. So don't go anywhere. They'll just be tortured.